appreciate the singing. Uh, would not be having children's church this morning due to a VBS starting tonight, and uh, so they'll be sitting out here with us. And <clears throat> kiddos, you do me a favor. You you be real good this morning. We got a special surprise for you tonight, and uh, so we need you to be real good this morning. If you got a Bible this morning, we're going to be in the first epistle of John. Chapter number two is where we'll be bringing our text from. First John, chapter number two. <clears throat> Sounds good to hear those Bibles turning. As I was reading this week, and uh, I just... Uh, reading some books around the house, and I began to uh, just uh, look at people of conviction. And, and throughout the Bible, we, we find really two types of, of believers in the Bible, and it, it was, some were, were believers of conviction. And there were some believers that had strongholds in their life. Now, conviction is a belief that's followed by an action. Something that you and I believe to be right. And, and no matter what anybody else tells us, we are convinced that it's truth and we refuse to do it or not to do it. You hold to your convictions on the things you believe to be so. Even if it's a death sentence, you don't break convictions that you have. We see many of the apostles and disciples of Jesus, they, they were men of convictions concerning Jesus Christ and His Lordship. They were martyred, uh, martyred and, and, and they were killed for the cause of Christ, for, for preaching the gospel of the cross. And we can see and understand that they were Men of convictions. But then on the other hand, there was men that had strongholds in their life. Something that, that had a hold on them. You may know that it's wrong, but yet you still find yourself doing it. That can be a stronghold. You say that you're not going to do it again, but it consumes you, and it controls you, and it has its claws deep inside of you and it will not let go. You say that I'm done with it, but yet it comes back out. It has a hold on you. Samson was a man of this character. He was a man that had a strong hold in his life. Many of you that know the story of Samson, you do know that Samson's problem was women. He had a problem with women. To the point that it led him to revealing where his strength came from. And then the enemy once they found out what made him so strong, snuck in, shaved his head, and he lost his strength. His overwhelming desire cost him everything that God had blessed him with. The end of the story of Samson, well, you know what happens. He's, he's, he dies. Conviction and strongholds. Last week, I well, not last week, really a few weeks ago, I... I became aware of something that troubled me. Have you ever had that day where you were getting ready, but for some reason the clothes were shrinking? It just didn't feel right. It was uncomfortable. I know that's never happened to any of you before. But it's true. 
I, 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 it, it had troubled me, but I knew the solution of this. So, so I decided that what I needed to do was I needed to lose about five, ten pounds tops, and I'd be good. I'd feel more comfortable in my clothes again. So I, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm just going to die. I'll, I'll handle that. And everything was going great. Everything was going good. Until one day, I saw the most delicious king-size fudge round. You know what I'm talking about, the biggins. And at first, I, I was able to resist this thing and said, I'm not going to do that. I made a, I made a, I made a, made a commitment here. I know what I need to do because if I don't do it, I'm going to continue to be uncomfortable. So I, I need to do this. But the more I thought about that thing, the more it just seemed right for me to have one. Just, just one. It just seemed so perfect. The more I thought on this thing, I, I eventually. Talked myself into eating that fudge round. And eventually, I would talk myself into it being okay to have a box of them in my, uh, on the shelf. My wife's fault. So now every time I walk by, it begins to talk to me. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm going somewhere this morning. That sweet tasting goodness from heaven has got a hold on me. To where when I bypass it, I walk past it in the kitchen, it's one of those things where I stop and look at it. And I start debating with myself if I'm going to have one right then or not. I look at that. This morning I got up and fixed my coffee, getting ready for church, and guess what? There it was. It was just looking at me. You know what you want. I'm here to make you happy. Come over here. Even though I know that it's filled with sugar and fat and all that stuff that I'm trying to avoid in my life right now, I was overwhelmed with this desire that I eventually gave in to. And as I was studying and praying this week, you know, God allows things to happen in your life for a purpose. It always teaches you something. I began to recall my experience with this fudge round. And this thought began to come across my mind and I began to pray and search for the answer of what was keeping so many people uncommitted to Jesus Christ? What would cause people who claimed to love the Lord the way so many of them do, what would keep them from being sold out to Jesus Christ? What would cause people not to want to assemble themselves together with other believers? What would cause people not to want to join in on a local body of believers and get to work for God? Now, I know membership's not one of those things that's a deal breaker for the work of Christ. I've pastored a lot of people that never joined the church. But it always seemed a little odd to me because I, I love the church and I love being part of a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching church because I know that God's called me to do that and, 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 and I know that I, there's no greater joy in my life than serving Christ, serving the local body to the very best of my ability. There's no greater joy. What would cause people not to want to be born again? What would cause people not to want to be saved 
to come to know Jesus Christ, to bypass hell? What would cause people not to want to? And as I was praying and seeking the face of God this week, God spoke to me in one of those ways that it's very powerful and it don't happen much. But it was almost like his voice was in my prayer closet and said, go get your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter number 2. I want to show you why so many people are uncommitted to me today. And then he said, I want you to preach it to your body of believers or to my body, to your flock. I said, yes, sir. So this morning with God helping me, I want to preach on don't let it get a hold on you. And you listen fast. I'll preach fast. We'll go home. Second chapter 2 of 1 John. Look at verse number 15. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Don't let it get a hold on you. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now, Lord Jesus, to bless the reading of your word, to bless the preaching hour, God, and that you would just speak to every Christian's heart here today. Also to those that are not Christian, God, I, I pray that this word would be a conviction so strong, God, that they would be forced to come to a day of repentance in their life. They may receive Christ, be born again. Father, for the Christian that's struggling, that's uncommitted, I pray for conviction on their heart that we would commit ourselves to Jesus Christ. Have your way in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Here now, uh, John is addressing uh, uh, Christian believers. And I've got to take you back a while before we get up to our text. So just bear with me. This is a family letter that John is writing. He's, he's writing a letter from the Father, which is God. And he's writing to his little children. That is you and I. And he's writing to those that are in the world. Now, when I say world right here, I want you to understand that, that John is writing to those who are alive in Jesus Christ, but they are currently located on planet Earth. That is what he's talking about in this letter here. He's going to use that word world in different ways, though, as we'll see later in this uh, uh, reading. He starts this letter off in chapter number one by reminding uh, us that because of the death, the birth, uh, uh, resurrection of Jesus, that you and I can have fellowship with God, the Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. And he says that he writes these things that we might be full of joy. Now, chapter 1, verse number 4 is where he says that at. He says, these things write we unto you that you may be full of joy. So in other words, he wants the believers to understand that because of your fellowship with God, because Jesus uh, has rent the veil, because he was born of a virgin, he lived a perfect life, gave his life a ransom for many because he hung on a tree because he shed every drop of blood but because he come out of the grave victorious uh, you and I now can have a fellowship a relationship with God and he says I'm writing this to remind you that, that you may be full of joy inside of your life boy it should be a joyful day for the Christian because of Jesus Christ He says, I want you to have joy. But then he begins to go in verse 5 of chapter 1. He goes into this thing of conditions of fellowship. Did you know there were conditions in your fellowship with God? 
And what John says is, if you're going to have fellowship with God, you've got to walk in the light. Now you listen to me. (laughs) You can be a Christian and out of fellowship with God. Why? Because you're not walking in the light. You've got things in your life that shouldn't, that doesn't line up with God. And, and, and John writes, he says, he's writing to believers. And he says, there's conditions to this fellowship. You've got to walk in the light. Because in order to be in fellowship with God, you've got to be walking the same place God is walking. And there is no darkness found in him. And if you have, if you have light, you have no darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. So if there's a flicker of light, it is no longer dark. And he says the condition of your fellowship with God is by walking in the light of God. And then he goes in verse number 8. He goes into this letter about the indwelling sin, the fact of in dwelling sin. He says, if we say we have no sin, then we lie. He says, there's a fact that you are a sinner and I am a sinner. This is a fact. And if we try to cover that up and pretend like we have no sin, then then we're making ourselves liars. We're deceiving ourselves into believing this. But he also says that if we confess our sins through Jesus Christ, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. If we will confess them, we can be in fellowship with Him. But if we keep them all for ourselves, we are not walking in the light anymore. We have begun to walk in darkness. Our fellowship is cut off. And then we get to chapter number 2. He, he finishes that chapter out with that. In chapter number 2, it begins, and he tells us that our fellowship is kept by Jesus. So he wants you to know that the only way you have fellowship with God is through Jesus. That's it. He says, that's the only way you can have fellowship with me. That's the only way you and I have fellowship with God. He says, through Jesus. It's kept by Jesus. He says that we should not sin, but if we do find ourselves in sin, that confession is needed to our advocate. You see, an advocate is someone who speaks for you. A lawyer that pleads to the judge for you. In other words, he said, when you find yourself in sin, and you'll know that you're in sin because you're not in fellowship with God, you're walking in darkness, when you find yourself in that place, you need to run to an altar of confession before me and get your case taken care of. The advocate is waiting for your confession to make intercession for you. So that your fellowship can be back with God. And he says, you shouldn't do it, but if you do, you've got a lawyer. You need to call him. He's just waiting to make intercession for us. He's our mediator, Hebrews would say. In verses 3 through 14. He starts talking about the test of a disciple. He said, you'll know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ by two things. Your obedience and your love. Now, just just what John writes here to to, to believers. He says, "If, if you really want to know if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will be obeying Him. Because if you're not obeying Him, then you are not a disciple of Him. Let me say that again. If you find yourself where you are not obeying Jesus continuously in your life, and when you fall short, you will and I will, if we're not running to a place of confession before God through Jesus Christ, we're walking in darkness, we have no fellowship with Him, and we are not a disciple. But if we are trying our best, and when we fall short, we're running to Jesus, we're getting that taken care of through the blood of Christ, we're in fellowship with God, he said, that will show you if you are a disciple or not. Through your obedience and through your love. 
And that gets us down to verse 15. In this verse, he begins to tweak things just a little bit. John, through the Holy Spirit, says, Love not the world. Now understand, the Greek language has four words for love. One is a husband-wife kind of love. And then there's the brotherly type of love. And then there's this family type of love. Like, for instance, you know, you love your wife different than you love your kids. That type of thing. It's a family. And, and you love your, your mother or your grandmother different than... It's a family type of love. But then there's a different type of love, and this is an all-consuming love. This is the love that God shows. It's agape-type love. It's an all-consuming, all-just-takes-over type of love. And this is the love that the Holy Spirit through John uses right here, is this all-consuming type of love. He says, don't have this all-consuming type of love for the world. Now watch this. The world uh, can mean three things. In one part, he uses the earth. He uses that earlier in Scripture. He talks about the earth, the cosmos, the earth. That's where we get the cosmos, earth. But, but it can also mean people. For God so loved the world. He's talking about people there. And then there's this other type of, uh, it's an anti-God culture and values of the world around us. What our text this morning is telling us is not to love with an all-consuming love for this world, our, this world's cultures and values. He says, don't do it. It's the exact same thing that Paul wrote when he said, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. These are the exact same words that Paul will use later. In other words, he says, Don't become so well-adjusted to our culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Paul also writes to us in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. He tells us about a man named Demas. Demas, uh, he left Paul on his missionary journey. He left Paul. And Paul says these same words. Paul says, Demas hath left me because he has fallen in love with this world. You don't believe me? Look it up. 2 Timothy 4 and 10. Paul says, hey, Demas left me out here. I'm, a, I'm trying to preach the gospel. I'm trying to get the word of God into people's hands. Uh, uh, Demas was with me, but all of a sudden he fell in love with the world. He's no longer here with me. Because he, he fell in love with this all-consuming love for the world. Now, I know God spoke this into my spirit this week. Listen to me. We, we're not committed to the things of Christ the way that we should be because of one simple reason. Many of us have fallen in love with the world. We have fallen in love with this modern world. We love our stuff. We love the thought of our stuff. Some of you are thinking about your stuff right now. You're not even paying me no attention. You're thinking about your stuff. You're thinking about what's for dinner, what's for TV. You're thinking about your stuff. We love the way our stuff smells. Just grab it and smell. We love to get more stuff as if we don't got enough junk. We got closets full of stuff. And yet, we got to have more because we love it. 
We love the entertainment that our stuff provides for us. That's why we get it in the first place. We, somebody said, I got a 55-inch, but now I need a 65-inch. Now they got them all the way up to 85 or bigger probably because we just love that stuff, don't we? We got to have bigger and better, bigger and better, bigger. We love our stuff. We love our homes. We love our cars. We love our games. We love our beds, our nights out on the town, our vacations, our money. Simply put, we are living in a culture and even in the church age where we have fallen in love with this world and yet the Bible says this world is not supposed to be your home. Now, let me clarify something. I'm not saying if God's blessed you with good, nice things, it's bad. It's not a terrible thing. What I am saying this morning is this. If God has allowed you to have things, that's a blessing. But when those things become so they get a hold on you and you're in consuming love for them and it removes you from where you need to be with Jesus, then you've got a problem. And I look around at the church today, and we've got problems. We've got problems because these things are consuming us. These things have got a hold on us. It's not a work schedule problem. I'm so sick. It's not that, hey, I've got a schedule problem. I can't be in the house of God. That's a lie from the devil himself. It's not I'm too busy problem. It's not a family time problem. It's not I got a problem with the church. The real problem is this, that we've fallen in love with the world that does not love us. You don't got to say amen. I know it's the truth. And the Lord through John here, he's writing to you and I. He's warning you of the danger of falling in love with the world. What he is saying is when you and I begin to love the world with this all-consuming love, the love of God is pushed out. When you and I begin to love the world the way that you and I love the world, he's saying this, he says the love of God is pushed out. The love of the world will overtake the love of God. You will not have time to love God anymore. When you love the world, God's love in your life will be put to silence. The more you love the world, the less you're going to love Jesus. And the opposite is true too. The closer you get to God, the more you'll love Him and the more you'll hate this world. And what John's trying to get across to you and I this morning is stop loving the evil world and all that it has to offer you. Stop loving it. You see, too many people this morning have forgot that Satan's desire is to sift us as wheat. His desire is to pulverize us. And he doesn't do it big ways. He usually starts little small increments. And I look around and I see it in many churches. That I've seen it in many churches. The way he has started in believer's life that was once sold out to Christ, once doing things for the Lord, once taking all of his time, all of his energy, focusing on the things of God. All of a sudden, he introduces the iPhone 6 in their life and everything in the world begins to change. He offers the bigger TV and everything changes. what I used to spend in prayer now I spend oh look where they went oh look how pretty they look and John's right did I say this already John's writing to believers he's writing to the church of Jesus Christ So the question I have for you and the question I have to answer myself is what in this world is controlling you? What has a hold on you? 
What is keeping us from being sold out to Jesus Christ? What is it? What is so important in this world that we love it so much? You see, sometimes we get obsessed with things in this life that does not matter. We'll focus all of our energy on it. And John tells us in verse 17 that this world's going to pass away. Can I tell you this? You're going to die one day. So am I. Your career and my career is not going to matter. You know why? Because we'll be gone. We'll leave a legacy, don't get me wrong, but it's our homes will rot. They will rot. Our cars, if you, if you, you know, a car don't last a lifetime no more. By the time you get that sucker paid off, you got to get a new one. It's falling apart. It won't last. But boy, those things control us. They control us. They control us. I can guarantee if I got a basket this morning and said, okay, everybody, I want you to put your cell phone in here. You can have it next week. I bet you some of you say, hey, he done lost his mind. Done lost his mind. I will hit. Preacher, me and you going out back. We're going to have words. Because it controls us. Because it controls us. We got to have it. Real quickly. Let me show you some reasons or some ways that you can know that if you've fallen in love with this world. Number one, if you're so occupied with earthly concerns, you've fallen in love with this world. Every waking moment, you're concerned about this earth, what's going on in this world. You see, the world is incompatible with God's nature. So you cannot love this world and love God at the same time because this world, is, is, it does not go together. And when we get so caught up in the concerns of this world, our behavior your way of life, it will either be controlled by the love of the world or it will be controlled by the love of God. That's the only two options that we have. We're controlled by one of them. You cannot be controlled by an influence that is directly opposes those things of God and still have this relationship with God. Boy, you cannot do it. You cannot engage in activities that entertain thoughts uh, that are not of God and expect uh, to be in love with God. It does not work. If you're so occupied with what the concern is of this world, we don't worry or think about heaven the way we... This world's not our home. Why are we so consumed about it? You cannot embrace, be entertained invest in, spend time with, be connected to, practice a way of life that promotes the idea that we are not a, created by God. You say, well, preacher, I don't watch that stuff. Oh, yeah, you do. They slide it in everywhere they can. You better pay attention to your cartoons now. You got men in cartoons walking like this. They're sliding in everywhere they can. And you and I are sucking it up. 
they're sucking it up. The Bible says, Jesus says this, you're either going to love the one and hate the other, but you can't love them both. You can't love them both. You're going to love one, you'll hate the other one. You'll hate it because it goes against your agenda. Number two, he says pride, pride of life. The definition of pride is overbearing opinion of oneself, one's worth. Paul wrote to the prideful Corinthians, if anyone thinks he stand, let him take heed, lest he falls. Peter warns us, God humbles the proud, gives grace to the humble. Solomon, in his wisdom and, and, and under the guidance of God, he wrote this, pride comes before destruction. You want to know if you've fallen in love with the world when everything becomes about you. What I want. What I desire. What I need. It doesn't matter what you need. It's what I need. You know why? Because I'm better than you. And when you start having that kind of attitude, I can look at you and say, you have fallen in love with this world. You've fallen in love with it. Three pleasures. We all got things we like. I ain't, I ain't. But when your pleasure becomes more important than your God, then your God's not your God no more. Your pleasure's your God. You see, when you find it more pleasurable in the club than you do the church, oh, preacher, don't hit me there. Well, here I come. When you find more pleasure at the ball game than you do the house of God, you've got something in your life that needs to be taken out. When you find more pleasure in Martha Stewart's kitchen than you do the house of God, bless God, you've got falling in love with this world. When you find more pleasure in the things of the world than you do inside of this beautiful place right here surrounded by God's people worshiping the Savior. When you have found more fun out there than in here, you have fallen in love with this world. See, I've seen some of you at ball games. Johnny hit it. Bless God, he's 15 years old. He should have hit it by now. Climbing the fence. Whoa! Run, Johnny! Run! Slide! I'm telling you, Jesus coming back to rapture his church one day and it's like, well, okay. No big deal. Jesus is coming back. And we would... They don't do nothing for us, but little Johnny hitting the ball does. pleasure becomes so important. When your possessions become so important. I'm going to say this and I, I don't mean to be ugly. I, I just, I, I probably just, just not need to say it. But I'm going to. If you got work possessions become so important. You listen to me. Your possessions are so important. You got, you're working two and three jobs just so you can have that fancy ride. You got problems. That's it. I can't give to the worker of the ministry because I got to pay for this Lexus over here. Because this Lexus is my entire world. I've seen people live in shacks and driving Lexus. I'm like, what? You got things mixed up. You got things mixed up.
when your possessions, those things that you that you have, and they, boy, when they start getting in front of the things of God, you you're falling in love with them. You're falling in love with them. When your popularity is so important, I just want to be popular. You know, when I was in high school, I wanted to be popular. And for the most part, I was popular, but with the wrong, stinking crowd because my popularity meant so much to me. You know why? Because I was in love with this world. I was in love with it, and I want to get as much as I could out of it. When your power obsessions, some people are just obsessed with being in control. When your position orientation, when your people pleasing, you got to make everybody happy. You got to make everybody happy. That's why we'll tell them it's okay to do this because we got to make them happy. All of this, it falls into one category, church. We've fallen out of love with Jesus and we have fallen in love for this world. And there's about a million other things you can put in those categories. This world's grip will control you. You listen to me now. You listen to me for a minute. This world's grip will control you. It'll control you. It'll dig its claws in you and me and have us eating out of the palm of its hand doing whatever it says do because we got to have more. Sooner or later, it will catch you if you begin to dibble-dabble in it. It will catch you. Something will catch you. And the guilt of it will condemn you. It will condemn you. So look what John tells us here. For all that is in this world, everything that you and I that are in this world, he uses a different world there. He's talking about the world now, the planet, different world. He says, just lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh. He said, it's all going to pass away. It's all going to pass away. Everything you see, hear, smell, touch, it's just all this lust that's going on. He said, it's just it's all going to pass away. You know what Jesus said about if your eyes cause you to sin? Anna, Anna said it. Pluck them out. Pluck them out. Jesus said, if your eyes are causing... Now, I don't want nobody... Don't, don't, don't go, you can pluck, pluck at home, pluck in here. I ain't cleaning up blood. But he says, if it's causing, if the right hand's causing, get rid of it. Get rid of it, is what he's saying. Jesus said that. He said that. Pluck it out, get it out. Because it's all lust, it's, it's of this world. And you and I, are supposed to be controlled by God. That's what we're... So to answer the question that I asked earlier, and I'm done, why are we so uncommitted today? Why is the church so uncommitted? Why are people who claim to love God so uncommitted? I'm going to answer it for you. Here it is. God said it. Preacher, they've fallen in love with the world. They don't think about heaven. They think about tomorrow. They don't think about eternity. They think about what can they get next. What pleasure. What's going to make them happy next time around. Our Sunday school lesson was out of Romans chapter number 2. And it asked a question that says, Do you think 
you can escape the judgment of God? My question to our Sunday school class was, do you think we can escape the judgment of God? Why do we think that way? Because we don't think about it. Why do we fall in? I ain't going to say fall in because falling is an accident. Why do we get in sin and roll around? Because we think we can escape the judgment of God. Why do, why, why do we... Why are we not a, committed to Christ in our daily lives every day? Because we're not thinking about eternity. We're thinking about tomorrow. Do you not realize your neighbor, if not a Christian, is going to bust hell wide open unless somebody tells them about Jesus? Are we, we don't think about it. We do not think about it. Church, I'm warning you, just as God has warned me this week, don't let this world get a hold on you. Don't let it get a hold on you. Don't let it get a hold on you. Don't let those eyes and those lusts and those desires, don't let them take control of you. Focus your attention on God. Focus it on God. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning all across this building. They get us a song of invitation ready. I'm going to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes. Nobody looking around. I want you to be honest and be honest with God and be honest with yourself. Have you fallen in love with this world? Are you less committed to Christ than you used to be? As we grow in Christ, our commitment level should be more, not less. We should love Him more, not less, with that love, that action. That we... Are you less committed than you used to be? Maybe you're here and you've never committed yourself to anything. You're not committed to Christ. You've, you've prayed a prayer one time, but nothing really changed in your life. Let me tell you this. You cannot be a Christian and things not change in your life. You cannot be a born again, born of the Spirit of God, and things not change in your life. So let me ask you, church, have we fallen in love with the world? If we have, I know the solution. His name is Jesus. And if we'll come and we'll confess our sins before him, he says, I will plead to the Father. I will be your advocate. I will speak to him for you that your sins may be forgiven, that you can be brought back into fellowship with me. Don't let this world trick you. Father, in Jesus' name, I love you today. I thank you for your love for me. I thank you for this message, God. I know it's spoken to me this week. God, I pray for every heart in this place today. Lord, as we take a moment to be honest with ourselves and be honest with God and just ask the question, what is controlling me? Why am I not sold out to Christ? What is it in this world that I do before I put, I put it before Jesus? That's just it. I put it before I, I do the Lord. What is it in this world? Now that I recognize it, Lord, would you help me to remove it that I may be sold out to the King of kings and the Lord of lords that when I stand before you one day, the words I'll hear is, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many. Holy Spirit, you're invited. Please speak to hearts this morning. Change lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You got a need this morning. These altars are open. I know we've...
got animals and stuff. You, we'll make a place for you. We've got pews up here. We'll pray with you. Don't let that stop you. If I thought it was going to, I'll kick it out of the way. It doesn't matter to me. The most important thing is for you in your heart this morning Amazing love to answer the questions on what's controlling you. The kindness what's keeping you from Jesus? What's, what's keeping you? What is so important that you're willing to forfeit heaven for? What's so important that you're willing to forfeit heaven? What is so important? God, what is it? So good. Oh God, preacher, my job's so important. So yeah, they'll replace good. you like that. God, you don't believe me? <laughs> Go up in there and so cut up. You're out of here. So you're a number. This is important in my life, and it's holding me from Christ. What I need to do, preacher, you need to take a ball bat to it. You need to get it out. You need to bust it in a million pieces and get it out of your life. I love what the Bible says about strongholds. It says that he has come to destroy them. Those things that are holding you in your life. The Bible said Jesus has come that he may destroy them. If you break it, somebody can put it back together. But if you destroy it, it's gone. Jesus said, I come to destroy it. That it may not hinder your spiritual life anymore. What is it in your life that's keeping you? from being everything that God desires you and I to be. What is it? Because if you look hard enough, you'll find it. The Bible says if you seek, you shall find. And I guarantee you, if you look inside of your life and chart your life, you'll find where you're spending all your time and effort at. And you ask yourself, hey, if God's happy with it, I'll shout glory with you. If God's not happy with it, we got work to do. We got work to do. God's not pleased with your life. We've got work to do. Preacher, I'm scared what people may think. You need to get that out of your life too. Because some said something. Some sit around knowing God's dealing with them and they're saying, well, I afraid so-and-so will talk about me. They can talk about me all they want. I'm going to straighten things out with God. That's what matters in my life right now. Sing, 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 sing,
serve a good God. This morning you leave here with any influences in your life other than that of God. I want you to know, and I mean this with love, that you are without excuse. I've searched for this answer for six or better years of why people are not committed. And it took a fudge round to make me realize it. Sometimes we got things in our life that we count to be so high and God counts them to be so small. And we put those things up on the ladder of what can I accomplish? What can I do? God says, you've fallen in love with the world. You've fallen in love with it. Don't fall in love with the world. Fall in love with Jesus. Everything else will pass away, but he, he's not going nowhere. <laughs> Thank you for being here. 6.30 tonight come. If uh, you're an adult, you want to come, that's fine. If you don't come, I understand. VBS tonight. Do me a favor. Pray for the salvation of kids this week. Hey, kids need Jesus too. They, 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 when they grow up, they have to be saved. You can put them in church all their life, but if they don't personally make a confession of faith, they're lost. Pray for the salvation of kids. They need Christ. Thank you so much for being here. I'm going to ask my friend, Brother Dennis, if he would dismiss us in a word of prayer. Thank you, sir.